0: If you're listening and you haven't yet left a review, please do. It only takes a few seconds and I know I'm always banging on about it, but those five-star reviews are genuinely very much appreciated and I read each and every one of them. So this week, I met one of the busiest women in the business. You're going to hear what I think is a very inspirational story of how she managed to turn the most tragic of personal experiences into into a lasting legacy for her daughter, Natasha. She has conquered the business world, but she's done it at her own pace. And I think that is as admirable as anything. I think the fact that Annabelle chose lots of recipes from her latest book is a testament to how delicious those recipes are, but also gives an insight into why Annabelle has been so successful. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired to start that business you've always pondered about. My guest today is Annabelle Carmel. Annabelle is the best-selling children's food author and television personality. She has written a whopping 41 books, which has sold millions of copies worldwide. She's also created Supermarket Food Ranges weaning equipment, and smartphone apps, with her app being the number one food app in Britain. Annabelle was awarded an MBE in June 2006 in the Queen's Birthday Honours for her work in the field of child nutrition. She has been described as the undisputed category queen in baby food, and it's not for nothing that Annabelle is known as the princess of the purees. Welcome Annabelle. <laughs> Thank you. How like that? that description? I mean, how is that for a Wishing up
1: peas. Yeah, <laughs>
0: but both a princess and a queen. I like that a lot. But before all this, you played the harp professionally mm-hmm. fourteen years. And pretty seriously too, because you made records, you worked with Liberace, yes. you were in videos with Boy George.
1: I was Cinderella and Pantomime with oh, a harp in the kitchen. That's amazing. With Dennis Waterman.
0: You really
1: played classical harp. I was trained as a classical harpist and then I played more light music and pop music and it was, I loved it. Music was my life. Yeah, the harp is so unusual. How did you get into it? Uh, It was my mother's idea. I started on a small harp, and then I I gravitated to this huge harp. And then I was studying at the Royal College of Music in London, and I went to a few hotels in London, like the Inn on the Park and the Intercontinental. And I asked them if they would like me to play at tea time, which I'd seen in America. And literally, I went for this interview, and they said yes. Like you can start like next week, and I had to learn all of this like popular music, like the Bee Gees were like in fashion. like How Deep Is Your Love and all of that on the harp. And I sang as well. Oh! And it was so lovely. And then I worked at Savoy and I played at Tea Time. Then I did cabaret there and it was great. I loved it. And then I got a manager and I started to play
0: with all sorts of people and make records and CDs. Let's pause there and just talk about the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: I think it has to be roast chicken. I remember my mum saying like, she wasn't a very good cook to begin with and she roasted the chicken with the giblets in a plastic bag inside the chicken and she skinned it before she put it in the oven. So she hadn't really been taught how to cook, but she got pretty good later and she'd make this amazing roast chicken with gravy and stuffing. And I've I've just got a new book out called Real Food Kids Will Love. And in it, I tell you how to make roast potatoes because actually you parboil them, then you drain them, then you shake them up a bit in the pan so they've got rough edges. And then you put them with a little bit of sunflower oil and some rosemary. You roast them in the oven. And it just tells you like how to make the perfect roast chicken with the most amazing gravy. little soy sauce and the juices and Worcester sauce and a bit of red wine vinegar. Oh, I like and, the sound of oh the Oh, my gosh, so sauce. yummy. Yeah. And then I do stuffing balls, but they're made out of leek and carrot and butternut squash grated. And sage and thyme and breadcrumbs and onions. And it's just the most perfect meal. Yeah. And it's just everyone in the family loves something like that.
0: Everybody loves it's it. It's a real
1: crowd pleaser, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I always remember like Sunday lunch and roast chicken. With and without the
0: plastic roasted giblets. <laughs>
1: With, without the plastic. <laughs> By the time I came along, I think she'd realized that you'd take them
0: yeah. out of the plastic. <laughs> but your mum sounds amazing. Is it true that she's in her 90s? 90s yes. And she's still a full-time architect. That's right. Yeah, she she runs around
1: like a headless chicken and she's doing up a lot of houses. So I hope that I'm like her when I grow older.
0: Oh yeah, she must be very proud of what you've achieved. She's
1: very proud of me. I mean, literally, if you've got my life story in two minutes, it's so embarrassing. (laughs) Or she says, you've got children. Do you know my daughter? It's like, oh my God, please don't do this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a mum's job though, isn't it? I guess, yeah. (laughs) And I wondered, how has what we feed our babies and children evolved over time? What were your parents' generation giving children and babies? Sort of what was the advice back then? Well, we started giving them food earlier, sort of three months. Now they say you should
1: wait till six months. I mean, five months or six months is fine. And they were adding things like sugar and things we don't add anymore. I think it's come on a lot, but I still think there are a lot of misconceptions about feeding babies. Okay, Because people start with fruit and vegetables, but they then continue with fruit and vegetables for far too long. And the thing is that if we are giving babies food from six months, at six months, they actually need iron and essential fatty acids, which you're not going to get in fruit and vegetables. Of course. So you've got to go very quickly through the fruit and veg. And at six months, you've got to start introducing red meat, lentils. These are rich in iron. And you need to introduce like oily fish like salmon because that's got the essential fatty acids in it. Ah. So it's different. And, you know, you need to have these foods that are what I call critical nutrients. Okay. And a lot of parents don't realize that you need to give them that early. But if you like read anything about, what babies need, or you speak to any experts, they'll tell you that iron and essential fatty acids are the two most important nutrients for little ones. Okay,
0: and I feel like now, sort of baby baby food is such a thing. But with <laughs> with your parents' generation, was it more they were just eating what we were eating? Like, have we? Not really. they were eating no. jars. And oh, they they weren't were very nice, and okay. they had a
1: lot of fillers in them. So actually, it's probably got a lot better. Okay, if you don't add sugar or lots of fillers to them now. So actually, it's 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 probably a lot better than it was, but still, you know, fresh is best. And if you're going to put meat or fish into a puree, you're probably going to put a lot more into your homemade puree than someone who's mixing a pouch. Yeah, <laughs> so that's expensive ingredients, definitely, and not to give you what your child actually needs. So I'm, you know, I I, I do try to help mums understand, uh, so that they can be informed and give their child the very best start in life because what your child eats in the first year is so important. They're going to grow
0: more happy than any other time in their entire life. Annabelle, the second Desert Island dish. What's the first dish that you learned to cook?
1: Actually, I went to Holland and I studied the harp in Holland and I wasn't a good cook. And I always loved my mother's Hungarian goulash. So I asked her (gasps) to send me the recipe in the post. There was no fax or email at that time. (laughs) So she sent it. I was really excited about making it and it took me a long time because I wasn't very proficient at cooking, and it tasted delicious. But I was staying with the family, so I went upstairs to get them, and the dog ate half of it, no. so i left it on the table <laughs> and he jumped up. So that was my very first foray into cooking. Well, at least you know it must have been good. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So yes, haongi goulash, that was my first dish.
0: Do you remember what um, her sort of secret... Recipe was. We use
1: sweet smoked paprika, the Spanish sweet smoked paprika, which is delicious. A little bit of um, sour cream and mm-hmm. you use like beef and you cook it for a long time. So it's really soft and there's like lots of onions and red peppers and herbs in there. And it's just delicious. And yeah. I served it with like a um, potato and carrot mash. Ooh. It's very nice. Yeah, that sounds really so delicious. So yummy.
0: Also so nice when you're away from home. Yeah. Because you were only 18 at the time, weren't you? Yes. So nice to have. I know food is so comforting, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I miss my home-cooked food. That's why yeah. I had to pick it.
0: Yeah. And and when you came back to England, you did a Cordon Bleu cooking course. I did. And you kind of, you just did that for fun. But did you ever think that you would end up in a career in food? No, I
1: used to have quartets and I used to cook lovely meals for them. And it was just my hobby, really. And I loved cooking. Uh, It really only kind of dawned on me after what happened to me as a mom. It was like, I had a child who was born and she was healthy called Natasha and then one day, she didn't look quite right. And I called a doctor and he didn't really want to see her, but I persuaded him. And I took her to see him and he dismissed her, saying that like, first-time parents, they worry unnecessarily. But oh. the next morning, she didn't look good. Her, her hands were twitching, her eyes were rolling back. And then she projectile vomited. And I took her to see another doctor. And he just said, oh, I've got to go and see another patient and left me. But when oh. he came back 10 minutes later, he said he hadn't gone to see another patient. He'd gone to get her a bed at Great Ormond Street, but they didn't have a bed for her. So we took her to St. Mary's. Was yeah. me and then they did some tests on her and at five o'clock they called me into a room and in a very matter of fact way they said she'd never be normal again oh, and in fact she might die and they transferred her to great norman street and she was in intensive care and she was on a ventilator for five days and on the fifth day they had a meeting with me and they told me thinking about if her brain had gone and what do i want to do and they took her off the ventilator and it took four and a half hours oh annabelle and she eventually died in my arms and it was like my whole world literally collapsed. Of course. I didn't know how to carry on. It was very, very dark. And I so wanted to have another child. So I went to my doctor and I asked for his help because it was, it took me two years to get pregnant with Natasha. Okay. And I just thought I couldn't spend two years trying to get pregnant. So I took a drug called Clomid, which is a fertility drug. And I got pregnant within four months. It was honestly <gasps> oh. a savior to know that I was pregnant. But all went well, except when I called my doctor to say that I was in labor. And he said, you'd be, silly to go into hospital. You're much better off at home. It's more relaxing. Okay. I took his advice and I called him, tried to call him like about three quarters an hour later when I was getting contractions close together. Yeah. And he said that still it was the early stages of labor. And then I like, I put the phone down and my water's broke. I went upstairs (gasps) to get my bag for the hospital and the head came out. No. no, Oh yes. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. So I shouted to my husband. I said, I think I'm having the baby. He said, don't be ridiculous. (laughs) He came up and the head was out. And then... The baby was born and it was attached by the cord <gasps> and we couldn't move it. And it was two and a half hours before anybody came what? to help us.
0: Oh my goodness. But and you was... hadn't
1: prepared for a home
0: birth or anything. No. no.
1: I wanted the full epidural, not yeah, the out of course. thing. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> but the baby was all right. And someone came eventually. Two two and a half hours later I I I actually was separated from the baby because up until that time I was still attached. Oh, I see. And I went to the hospital and my mother came and she said, Oh, my daughter's here and they said, No, only one One girl's come in, but she had a home birth. She said, no, my daughter gave birth here. And then she comes in. I'm wearing this Laura Ashley dress (laughs) covered in blood. I was like, what on earth is going on? (laughs) And that was the birth of Nicholas. But he was so wanted.
0: Yeah, of course. And he was a catalyst because he was a world's worst eater. Oh, yes. I want to ask you about that. Before we talk about him, let's talk about the third Desert Island dish that I know you've been slightly dreading. This is, I am dreading this. The best dish you've ever eaten.
1: My best dish is change. Depending on which is my last book that I've written. Yes. So, you know, it's always, like, oh, I've made this amazing recipe in my book. This is my favorite, favorite recipe. So it's a difficult one. At the moment, it's quite a simple recipe, but it's so yummy. I've been making it over and over again. Okay. Uh so it's it's glazed salmon with veggie rice. And Ooh. literally you just put the salmon into a silver foil and then you add things like sweet chili sauce, tomato ketchup, soy sauce. And you wrap it up and you put it in the oven for 12 minutes. And then you use cooked rice and you make all these veggies like carrots, red pepper, onion, um, red onion, and then you put a little soy sauce, sweet chili sauce with it. And then you put the salmon on top, which is perfectly cooked and really moist. And we're just all loving it. Well, it's just the most incredible yeah, food. Yeah, that sounds well, We've just really been good. developing recipes for a an nursery. And I made this for the person who owns a an nursery. And she absolutely loved it. It's definitely going to go on the menu. Was that the smell that I yeah. smell when I came into the
0: house? Yes. It, yeah, that smells, smells incredible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's my new favorite. But I can't tell you what's going to be next
0: week. It's going to be another thing. Well, yeah, it yeah. changes all the time. Yeah. I totally agree. So when your son was born, he yes. he was a very fussy eater. And you yeah. realized that one of the reasons for this was simply that the food that people were giving babies at the time was pretty bland yeah. and frankly, not that delicious. So you set about writing your first book. Can you tell us about how you went about writing that first book?
1: I thought it'd be quite easy to write a book on yes. baby food, but actually it wasn't because I interviewed all the so-called experts up and down the country and they all contradict each other. <gasps> so it's incredibly confusing when you get one expert saying you can give fish at six months another expert saying you can't give fish until one year or you can give the weight of the egg or someone else saying no, you can't give egg at all until one year. And I like, like, what is right? So I went to part of Great Ormond Street to Institute for Child Health, which is the research arm. And I worked with researchers in child nutrition. So I really understood what was the right way to feed a child. And actually, you should be giving them a lot more foods early than we are, we are giving them. So now the thinking is that you should be giving peanut butter at six months. The longer you withhold it, the more likely it is your child will develop an allergy because you're almost desensitizing your child to these foods. So- we give peanut butter at six months, we give eggs at six months, we give wheat at six months. We don't withhold it unless the child has a very strong history of allergy in the family or has eczema and really bad eczema at a young age. Okay. Eczema and food allergy tend to go together. And so when you
0: started doing this, no one no one was doing what you were doing. Like it was, as no. you say, all conflicting advice. It wasn't sort and of grouped boring, together.
1: bland recipes, like putting a piece of liver in. A saucepan of milk and poaching, and giving to a child. Well, Nicholas would like, no, I'm not eating that. Yeah, and he was understandably. So, <laughs> so I got him to eat chicken because I made chicken and apple balls with like onion and herbs and breadcrumbs. He loved them. And I started to make up all these recipes by putting things together, like banana. and I did banana and avocado mashed together, which they loved. I did uh, fish with cornflakes and orange juice and cheese. Sounds very odd, but they loved it. That does sound odd. I know but it's so does it yummy. really works. It really works. Ooh. Great favorite. And I made baby food taste amazing. So I finished my book from cover to cover, and then I got, I, I had a prize amongst archaeologists to design the illustrations, so the book was all illustrated. And I sent it to 15 publishers,
0: and every single one of them turned me down, and no litation would take me on. That is just unbelievable, and I want, I want to ask you more about that. But I wondered, when you were writing the book, I know that obviously Nic- Nicholas was your focus, yeah. and um. You know, you're doing all this amazing research and, and it felt so needed. Was there any inkling in your mind that this was sort of a light bulb moment for something bigger?
1: I do think it was. I mean, I thought like really food for children has not been done properly and it was all incredibly bland. And I at the back of my mind I thought I would like to do a food range for children. Yeah. But then I thought, oh, like little me, like how can I compete against the Heinz and the Coward Gates of this world? And I didn't have the confidence to do it. It was 17 books later that I actually mm. went into food.
0: It's so cool. I it's mean, so cool. many, many years later. Okay, let's take a little pause there and talk about the fourth Desert Island dish. And that is, what is your favorite sandwich?
1: So it's not exactly a sandwich. Okay, it's, 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 from, my, it's from my new book. And it's a pulled chicken app. Ooh. So pulled chicken is like, I don't know if you ever made it, but you cook the chicken and then you take two forks and you shred it. And it's got the most delicious sauce and it's in a brioche bun and I make it with an apple coleslaw. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a sandwich because it's in a, in a bat. It's a brioche bun. And so you get this lovely like warm chicken with this delicious sauce, which is shredded and you get the cold coleslaw with the apple in it with the red cabbage and a little bit of carrot and white cabbage. And then the brioche bun, which I toast. Oh my God. It's so nice. Yeah. That's my son who loves cooking. It's one of his favorites. So he often asks me, like, what should I cook tonight? And I'll send him a recipe and he'll make it,
0: Ugh, which is so nice. Yeah, so nice. Um, I don't think I've ever had pulled chicken, only pulled pork. Pulled pork. But I like the sound of that. Yeah. yeah. You have to slow slow cook it? Not, no. not really. You just okay. cook it in the you oven, but it's it. slow. So you spent two years writing your first book. And it is very hard for anyone to imagine now because I think that book, it holds the record as the number two best-selling hard book of all time. But you did have a hard time getting it published, didn't you? Literally turned down by everybody. And I was thinking like, oh my
1: God, I spent two and a half years writing this book and no one's ever going to publish it. And then I was playing tennis with somebody who knew a book packager and they thought the book was good and they took it to Frankfurt Book Fair and Simon Schuster in America bought the book. What is a book packager? They they package a book, like they help design it. And then they try and get co-editions in different countries so that they can have volume, so they can sell it more cheaply. Because if you publish in America and Australia and France and England together, so you get pretty low royalties. Okay. So I did this deal because nobody else wanted to publish it. And Random House, I don't think it ever actually replied. So we went back to Random House when we knew that Simon Schuster had taken it. And then they decided to have a punt and they published it. Oh my goodness. But luckily I only signed a one book deal with a book packager. And my second book
0: was published at Random House. (gasps) That was really lucky. I mean, several lucky things there. It was so lucky that you didn't give up that you happened to mention it to your friend at tennis. No. There are like some really, I, I mean, know. it's very random, but it, it's like the sort of J.K. Rowling story too, isn't it? It sort is. Sort of not being demoralized if you yes, don't.
1: But no one had written a book on feeding babies that ever sold very well. So it was totally uncommercial proposition to any publisher. So no wonder they didn't want to publish it. And then it became such a best-selling book. Yeah. So what I always think is like, if you're an entrepreneur, everybody thinks you have to invent something new. I didn't really invent anything new. I just looked at what there was out there and I just thought this isn't good enough. I can do this better. I can make things taste really good. I'm going to test things on babies. Do they like bland things or do they want something with garlic and some herbs? And I found out they didn't like the bland. They liked the tasty. And so I then was running a huge playgroup group with 100 mothers coming every week. And I was giving them all the recipes. I get all this feedback for what they like, what they didn't like. So it was very much researched and had this amazing focus group at my disposal. I had two children. By the time I got it published, because no one wants to publish it, it took so long. And uh, it came out and it literally sold out within three months. <gasps> That's incredible. It, and if it hadn't, that would have been it. I'd never have done anything more in food. But it was such a successful book that I ended up writing 17 more books. And I, that's that's when I got a call from Marks and Spencers. Mm.
0: And are you someone that can easily brush off rejection? Do you find it easy to bounce no, back? No, I, I hate it. Well, <laughs> I have to was, was it just that you believed so much in the book, you knew that, you know, it, it was going to happen? I think the why you do something is very important.
1: And and I did it because I lost Natasha, and this is my legacy to Natasha, have something that outlived her and that made some meaning to her short life. So for me, it was a very important book to publish. And so it drove me through the difficult times, and it came from the heart. It really did. And that book will outlive me, not just outlive Natasha, and it will go on. And it has become the second best-selling hardback and fiction book of all time. I mean, sold over 4 million copies uh, in almost every country. And I have to pinch myself because like, how did that happen? It's incredible. <laughs> Out of interest, what's the first, the
0: top selling? The Secret. It's oh, called The Secret.
1: It's not a secret, it's called The
0: Secret. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not telling you, Margie. No. And um, that, I mean, yeah, it, as you say, you must just have to pinch yourself all the time. Yeah. It's
1: incredible. And that book is still incredibly successful. Oh. So, and so I've, I've reprinted it and I've made it more up to date and added new things, but... It is still my most successful book and my first book. I still can't write a book any more successful than that.
0: How amazing. And it's
1: beautiful. now. I had no photography to begin with. They didn't think it was going to do well. And now it's full of beautiful color photographs and recipe, which I think is really nice. Really? full that nice. chart. And I mean, you know, other books come and go, but this is literally the Bible. And it's it's got so much in there, so much information. And it's all properly researched. Yeah. There's so many old wives tales out there. So many, And yeah. so confusing. And people trust it. You know, I've got, it's very authentic matters to me because you know i have become like the number one expert on children's food so i have a huge responsibility to make sure that everything i say is correct yeah it is a big responsibility is, and mm. i take it very seriously
0: yeah well that is obviously why you are hugely <laughs> successful <laughs> um the fifth desert island dish what's the dish that you eat the most often
1: oh so it's my tuna poke bowl oh my Ooh. god
0: i am obsessed with tuna poke bowls so it's raw
1: tuna yeah but it's it's marinated in rice wine vinegar, sesame oil, soy sauce, red chili flakes, and lemon juice. Yum. And then I put it on a bed of edamame. Yeah. And it's got spring onions, avocado, sprouting beans, and sesame seeds in it. And then it has a dressing of soy sauce, rice wine vinegar, sesame oil, olive oil, and it's got crispy shallots in it. Ooh. it's amazing. Yeah. That it's sounds fantastic. Really good. And it makes a wonderful, like, dinner party dish as well. And it's in my new book. <laughs> And if I can't make it myself and I don't have time, I order it on Deliveroo because oh. there's, there's a place called Ahi Pokey that does something like this. Of course, it's not as good as my homemade No, actually, obviously not. But it's pretty good. <laughs> and I've just become obsessed with China Pokey Bowls. They're from Hawaii
0: mm, and they're just lovely. They're so good. They're so, so good. So fresh, so delicious.
1: And very light. Very so, yeah, light. So that's yeah. my go-to dish at the moment.
0: When I was researching you, I kind of um, thought about that saying um, – the Face That Launched a Thousand Ships, it feels a bit like your first book was the, the book that launched a global brand. And I, I know when you started, your focus was on writing books. And as you've said, you, you wrote 17, you had young children. Yeah. And, and kind of without knowing it, you were building the foundations for what the brand is now, weren't you?
1: Yes, but I wasn't terribly proactive. I think okay. I didn't have the confidence to develop a food range. I always, at the back of my mind, wanted to do it. But I thought that I wasn't good enough to do it. And I think that is the problem. You know, you're a mum and you're working from home and they eventually had an office in one PR. And I didn't have faith in myself. And I think confidence is as important as competence. Oh, I like that. And, and I, I learned on the job, I had a phone call from Marks and Spencer's who wanted to develop a food range. They didn't have one for children at the time. And they asked me to head up like a team of people. And I developed the recipes, I helped them with the packaging and the whole strategy and concept of it. And we launched that. And I worked for them for nearly two years. Oh, really? I learned a huge amount. Yeah. And then Boots asked me to do a co-branded range of baby food and baby food equipment. And they sell my books in Boots. And that was tremendously successful. And then they wanted to carry on doing that exclusively. But I thought I wanted to go into supermarkets. So I used my book royalties and I hired a consultant to find a factory. And I developed a range of toddler meals that tasted like homemade, but for one to three-year-olds, because all of the children's food in supermarkets was for four years plus there's nothing right for toddlers. And I developed this range and it went into Sainsbury's, like 300 stores, then it went to 700 stores, then we went into Tesco. And now that range has been in supermarkets since 2006, <gasps> which is very unusual. Yeah, that To is. be in supermarkets that long. Yeah, that's amazing. And then three years ago, I got a phone call from the largest frozen food company in Australia. <gasps> and we're in like eighteen hundred supermarkets in Australia. We're huge in Australia. So exciting. And we're just going into
0: China. So it's become a global brand. Yeah. It really has. But that's that's so clever because whilst you were working for Marks and Spencer's and Boots, presumably you were learning lots of That's right. Lots of knowledge about the market, but you know, also being paid for it at the same time. So it was sort of like a a paid paid university.
1: (laughs) If you want to do something, go and work for a company that's doing something similar to what you want to do. Yeah. And get the knowledge. Because you do need to understand, by working with them, the pitfalls as well. Definitely. And I always think you can't build a business sitting at your desk. Like, if you want to have a cafe in Battersea, you've got to sit in a cafe in Battersea and see how many people come in each hour and what time of the day and how much they're spending, what are they ordering. Otherwise, you just only know your overheads. Yeah. And I wrote a book called Mumpreneur, which is all about how to build a business and be a
0: mum and not be fighting the guilt all
1: the time which is what we do unfortunately
0: what was part of the reason that you started with the books because of the flexibility they allowed you when yeah
1: I I, I specifically chose books I wanted to be a mom at home and look after my children but I also wanted to have a career and I thought book writing fitted in well with having children and I was cooking anyway for three children by then so spent my whole life cooking yeah (laughs) might as well be publishing a book about it
0: (laughs) And I I like how there doesn't seem like there was sort of a grand master plan. You simply followed your passion. You did what you loved. You obviously went where the opportunities were. And now it's led to an empire.
1: Yeah, there wasn't a master plan. No. Other than I thought I wanted to do food at some point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, And it was like, yeah, it was very random. And thank goodness, like somebody saw that I could do something and had the faith in me and employed me because that gave me the confidence to do it. I don't think I'd have had the confidence otherwise. And I think that women like, lack confidence. But when they think about it, like if you have a child, you are amazing at multitasking and you're very good at people skills because you're dealing with the most irrational person, <laughs> which is a toddler. Yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> and, um, and your organizational skills are so good. So there are a lot of skills you learn as a parent and women who are parents don't waste time because they want to be back with their child. Yeah. And I find I employ a lot of people who've got children. They're very, very good people to employ. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess I was one of the quintessential mompreneurs. So I wrote a book about it and I went and interviewed like 30 of the top women entrepreneurs, like Chrissy Rucker, started the White Company, to get their advice on how they might have done things better or what they've learned along
0: the way. That's so so cool. that other moms can not make the same mistakes. Yeah. And I think people listening will take comfort in the fact that even someone like you. Doubted themselves and didn't know that you were able to do what yeah. you've achieved. Like everyone, it's natural to feel. I think it's
1: natural to doubt yourself. Yeah, now I
0: I doubt myself at yeah. times, and you
1: know, it's trial and error. Sometimes we're a bit more we're a bit more organised than I was in those days. But if if you really feel passionate about something and you love something, that is the best basis on which to start a career. Definitely. don't start a career because you think it might make money. Do something you absolutely love because there's going to be really tough, hard times ahead. And unless
0: you can have that passion, you won't get through those hard times. That's so interesting because that is actually something that crops up a lot with really successful entrepreneurs. right? It, it's yeah. never about the money. Like they didn't yeah. get into it. It become, isn't about
1: money. Yes. It isn't really. And it's also about failure. That failure is an important part of being successful Yeah, because you actually learn more by failing, then you do by success. And anyone can carry on when it's successful. But it takes a real entrepreneur to carry on when things are going all wrong. Yes. You know, and it's it's very, very hard then. Definitely. Have you had any bumps in the road
0: career-wise? Oh, yes. oh, my God,
1: yes. <laughs> I mean, dealing with supermarkets isn't easy and you can be delisted for no reason. I developed a range of chilled baby food, which had a fairly short shelf life, which didn't really work. Okay. And then I ended up doing pouches well I really wanted to do chilled. And we're now putting freezes into baby owls in Holland, so we're oh, able wow. to do that now. But you know that's it's amazing. taken, taken twenty six years. Okay. It's never quick. Yeah. Nothing's quick. No, but I think people yeah. can take a lot of comfort from this. <laughs> I think when people say, you know, to someone you've been an overnight success, if you look actually at how long it's taken them to get there, it's never been an overnight success. No. It takes time to be successful. And it takes a really good entrepreneur to withstand the years and to be successful over a period of time.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's what matters. Definitely. So, Annabelle, we're on to the sixth Desert Island dish. What is your go-to dinner party dish? Ah. Um, do you have a lot of time to throw dinner do parties? Do you know what?
1: I quite like to make something in advance so yes. you don't have to be, like, stressed out at dinner time. So my butter chicken is Ooh. kind of – it was a recipe that I found in Australia, but it's become popular here now. And it's like a chicken tikka masala, but it's even more yummy. And it's got garam masala and curry in it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful sauce. And you can make it the day before, and it's even better the next day. And I put cubed butternut squash in it. And then I serve it with yellow rice. I put turmeric with it. Mm. And it's, it's, it's from my new book, Real Food Kids Will Love. That um, sounds really good. All my favorite recipes
0: are in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's on your mind. Unless
1: you can make everything in advance. So all you have to do is like stick it in the oven or stick it in the microwave, and it's all done. That. Is Which ideal. is what you want for a dinner party.
0: Yeah. Otherwise, you want to enjoy it yourself. Well, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you're just a chef to your yeah. friends, aren't you?
1: Yeah. So you, can, the, you can make your tuna pokey bowl in advance as well. So, have that as a starter and then have the chickens. perfect. Sounding like a dream yeah.
0: dinner party. So, the sauce The sauce is made of butter. No, it's not. No, it's There's not, no, no pretend, no, pretend butter. No, I don't know what it's called, it's say, I no why it's called butter <laughs> chicken. I have no idea why it's called
1: butter lit chicken. My eyes look at all. <laughs> it's got onions and mango chutney and tomato puree, and it's not. Got okay butter we'll pretend it. butter it's just called butter <laughs>
0: chicken no <laughs> idea why would you serve a pudding at your dinner parties uh i would
1: i serve quite a nice pudding that um my mum actually made and it's lots and lots of fruit and a and sort of gratin dish and on top of it you crush amaretto biscuits Ooh. and then you put creme fraiche and then you put sprinkle it with a little bit of brown sugar and you just put it under the grill Ooh. It's amazing. Yeah. And this amaretto and the creme fraiche and the sugar all melts into one. And it's on top of all this fabulous fruit. That sounds but delicious. But again, literally, it takes 10 minutes to put it together. Yeah. And you just put it under the grill just before you want to serve it. And that's it. It's the simplest thing to do. It's all about the simple, delicious yeah. thing. So I think, you know, try and keep it simple for dinner parties. And don't put yourself under stress. No.
0: And some of the simplest things taste the best anyway, Definitely, to be honest. Yeah, that's so true. And how do you prefer to start the day? Like, do you have a breakfast that you tend to go to? I love bread. So I love all all different types of fresh bread. And we're very lucky we have a nice bread
1: shop that is quite near us. And I just try different types of breads, whether it's seeded bread or a plaited loaf with raisins in it, bagel. But I'll always have some kind of bread and then maybe some fruit.
0: I feel like bread has got
1: quite a bad rep. Well, not with me. No,
0: but publicly I feel like it has. We need to bring it back. I don't have a gluten allergy, so there's no no
1: problem with me
0: eating bread. But people are scared of bread, I think. (laughs) A lot of people...
1: Who don't have a gluten allergy are eating gluten free bread, and to be honest, gluten free bread just doesn't taste as nice as normal bread. No, it definitely doesn't. doesn't. So, and don't don't take things out of your child's diet unless you absolutely know that your child has an allergy. It's the same with like these dairy free formula milks; taste horrible. Why you put that on your child unless you absolutely know your child has a dairy allergy? Yeah. So, I'm I'm not one for like. I want to get proper advice, and I always say go and see a pediatric allergy specialist to make sure. Your child does have an allergy yeah. before removing something like a common food, like dairy out of your child's diet. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a big deal to do. It's that, a big deal. It is isn't a big deal.
0: It? Let's talk a little bit about the app because you have the number one food app in Britain. You're ahead of Jamie Oliver. Yes. It's amazing. I think it just shows you that parents care so much about what their child's eating.
1: And I developed this app. It's been out now for like four years it's in your pocket. If you're in the supermarket and you can't think of what to eat, you can just whip it out and put it in like chicken, like these are the chicken recipes I can do a six month old or one year old or a family recipe. And then you can download your shopping lists and you can do your meal planners. You can personalize your meal planners. It's got your kitchen timer in it. It's fantastic. And, and, I, and I love the fact that, you know, so many people are using it now. So many When I was making it, I thought, Why did I do this? So much work. I must be mad. No one's ever going to buy it. You know how you doubt yourself? Yeah, of course. I never, never imagined it would be like the number one food and drink app.
0: It's phenomenal. It's incredible. It's such an achievement. But yeah, I mean... It, that in combination with everything else, I'm just amazed at how, how much you've achieved and how busy your brain must be just constantly innovating and thinking so these I different ideas. Yeah, <laughs> I stay up very, very late. Not enough hours in there the day. There aren't enough hours in the day.
1: <laughs> and I literally work at the weekends and in the evenings and literally all the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's
0: comforting to know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say. They say um, being an entrepreneur, it's not a part-time job. It's not a full-time job. It's a lifestyle.
0: Enough. And it's true. You live yeah. and breathe it. Yeah, that's very true. There's a survey that said that m- more than 50% of people said that they would rather watch a meal being cooked on television than actually cook it themselves. Do you think we're cooking more or less than when you started 25 years ago?
1: I think probably less because Do you think? I think
0: women are working and mm-hmm. they're tired
1: and they don't have time. And there's so many ready meals now, many more ready meals than I ever wear. Like it's, it's a sea of ready meals, isn't it? When you go into supermarkets. Yeah, it's true. And we make ready meals. I mean, we make ready meals for toddlers because I know that there are mums out there that don't have time to cook. Yeah. So I want them to have the best possible ready meal, and I'll it will be based on one of my favourite recipes from my books, and I will drive the factory mad until it tastes just like a homemade meal, and they're good. Yeah. So
0: I don't want mums to feel guilty. You know no. They pe- can buy a ready meal if it's a good one. And people people are so busy. People prioritise their times yeah. their time differently. But it doesn't mean that they care any less about what they're feeding their yeah. children. So, uh, we have a cookbook corner on Desert Island Dishes, okay. and I'd love to know your favourite cookbook to add to our collection.
1: Well, my favourite cookbook has to be my new complete baby and the meal plan. Okay. <laughs> really, it's mine because that was the the cornerstone of my entire career. It was yeah. my legacy to Natasha. It was it was what what drove my career. But if I was to choose someone else's cookbook, I'd probably go to Delia Smith. Yes, because you know I think she really was a wonderful cook and everything she did absolutely works. And she's very precise. She'll say it's 40 centimeters under the grill and it's, you know, this is how you make the scrambled egg. You take it off the heat at this point and you add the butter. And I like that. You know, I think, I don't like the throwing in this and throwing in that. But I think a lot of people, they want to have that precision. in Yeah. Because you, three people can cook the same thing and it can taste completely different and you can follow the same recipe. Yeah. Throwing... Unless someone gives you the exact, you know, no, you're going to cook this
0: for four minutes. And then you're going to add this, this, and this. And it does make a difference how long you cook things. Definitely. And and throwing in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, if you're confident in the kitchen, that's fine. It's okay. But if you're beginning, that's quite intimidating, isn't it? We are on to the seventh and final desert island dish of the day. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island.
1: I would probably eat a spaghetti with seafood. Ooh, yes. And I like tomato sauce with... Like slightly piquant, and it would have prawns and scallops and squid,
0: and it would be like I just love that kind of food. Yeah, do you, you remember really the way seafood. you've had the best one of them?
1: Um, there's lots of restaurants that do it very well. There's a national Italian restaurant in London called Scalini. It does it very well. It's so yummy. So I make recipes like that. And yeah, I add a bit of wine to the tomato sauce. It's just so, and I I have these like dry chilies I put in it. Yeah. That's really probably good. my favorite thing and then for dessert i'd have um ice cream with hot dark chocolate sauce oh yes that's an I excellent love that. choice yeah cool you're making That'd me hungry perfect meal. <laughs> oh and i'd probably start with sushi because i love
0: japanese oh yes okay i like that. yeah go the whole three courses yeah. why not i do yeah. like fish a lot yeah amazing well annabelle thank you so much those were your desert island dishes Thank you so much for listening. Lots to digest from that one. Sorry, that's a bit of a foodie pun. Don't forget, you can go to the website, www.desertislanddishes.co, for the full list of episodes, plus the recipes which I've created, inspired by each episode. This week, it's a seriously delicious cheats version of a creme brulee. Come and say hi on Instagram at MadeByMargie. And other than that, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye.